This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I don't have any. Hey, it's Crimson. And what would really help me out if you go to my YouTube channel, Crimson60620, and then pop up Crimson and hit that subscribe button. Other than that, if you want to help me out, you can check out my Patreon page at Crimson60620 PS4 Gaming. And just thank you for listening. All right. Now, this next video, I'm deciding that we're going to start off, kind of get our feet wet in a couple of things. Um, and um, I promised, I promised, Joe is in the chat. I promised that I would actually go over the debate with James Baldwin and um, I forgot what the other cat's name. But this is actually, this is actually something where I feel like we just need to address because of a lot of other shit that's happening. And um, what a lot of people don't realize is something um, I know just looking at me. Did you guys know that I'm black? I, I know, shocked. I wake up every day and look in the mirror and say, damn, I'm, I'm black. And um, it's interesting because... Being someone who is on the left, being someone who has to deal with the systems of oppression that people of color has to deal with, I also have to balance that with a lot of people who, let's just say, want to use their pain and the past shit experiences they use to actually justify revenge. And that's not fun. And it's always a delicate line. You guys know I've done videos about it. By the way, if you haven't done so, please like, subscribe when it comes up on YouTube, share the video, and like help me reach a thousand subscribers. <coughs> but you guys know how I felt about people who use their pain, use the history of torment and suffering as a justif justification for their own hatred. Don't like it. And it's always been a delicate balance. And this is somebody, James Baldwin. Um, I, a friend of mine told me about um, a Netflix show, I Am Not Your Nigger or Negro, that's on Netflix. I suggest you guys watch it. It's narrated by you know Samuel Jackson about James Baldwin's final book that he, I don't think he ever completed. But let's go to this video. This is a video of James Baldwin doing a video, uh, doing an interview with... ABC. Now, let's just get into this video. Here we go. Baldwin, take one. White people go around, it seems to me, with a very carefully suppressed terror of black people. A tremendous uneasiness. They don't know who, they don't know what the black face hides. They're sure it's hiding something. What is hiding? Is American history, you know, what, what, it, what, it, what, it, what it's hiding is what white people know they have done and are doing, you know. 
So that's just an interesting. It's what you know. It's an interesting little take right there. And the fun, the the the, the sad part about it is, what he's just describing is the history that America has actually went through. And yeah, I pre-watched this video. I, I watched it. I wasn't doing research for it. And what he's actually describing is, well, a lot of white people, liberals, fucking racists, even the ones that said they there are no racists left in America, they wouldn't want to trade places with the black person for a day, for a week. They know that. That's just like the little fucking red pill guys who sit back and say, oh, women have it easy. They don't want to trade places with these people that they think they, they'd have easy. Because if they did, they would shit themselves. But let, let, let's go. Let's go. White people know very well one thing. And it's the only thing they have to know. They know this, everything else I say is a lie. They know they would not like to be black here. They know that. Now they know that, and they're telling me lies. They're telling me and my children nothing but lies. For both. Now this, I believe this was in the early 70s, um, early 80s, late, um, late 70s. Here, let's see, when was this? Let me see if it comes out. <coughs> okay, yeah. Um, uh, buried by ABC at the time, the segment um, has resurfaced over four decades later, revealing the unique glimpse of into Baldwin's private life, as well as his um, resounding criticism about white fragility and blisteringly relevant as as blisteringly relevant today as it was in 1979. Baldwin, the truth is that the ghettos of his youth remain, gnawing at the spirit of those who live there. The poverty is piled high, making it even more inescapable, and making it even more inescapable how thoroughly you're despised. The high-rise slum becomes a high-crime area almost at once, because what are you going to do with all these children, really? Whole families condemned forever to nothing. So another thing that this is talking about is like just simply redlining. This is the result of redlining, where you actually see communities of people where they just have nothing, not because they don't want to work hard, not because they're lazy. It's literally because they've been pushed to these areas of just immense poverty. And then motherfuckers say, ah, bootstraps. And then they want to tell people, oh, the reason why you don't have a job, not because you don't, you know, there's not any economic opportunity, well, because you didn't try not to be poor hard enough, you know, zip codes and shit like that. But let's continue. In the richest city in the world. My best friend, a black boy, jumped off the George Washington Bridge when he was 24 and I was 22. And I was sure that I, I was going to be next. Just from despair or? From despair, from rage, you know. Because you can get to a place, where, you know, where you're in battle so often that you, 
That's all you. That's all you can do. So I find myself having several different conversations because I'm a person who talks to people in public. I know, right? Scary, right? I find myself talking to a lot of people. I live in the Chicago area. I live in Chicago. I live in a poor area. And the number one thing that I keep hearing is all these people just killing people for no reason. There is a sense of despair. There's a sense of just desperation isn't the word because because people are desperate. They're doing shit like selling drugs, like causing violence, taking shit that's not theirs. And it's a despair factory in the results of these red line communities. It's a despair factory as a result of these communities that have been forgotten by investment and the only time investment comes in is to take advantage of the people or to get them where the gentrification can start these are fucking despair factories and this hasn't changed in the fucking 40 years or 44 uh, 43 years that this video has come out yeah, and yeah, de-industrialization um, um, de uh, de did not help. Now, yes, did it get the production of toxic shit out of the area? Um, and acts like places like Flint, acts places like East Chicago, Indiana, did, like they didn't clean shit up. Acts places like Gary, they didn't clean shit up. But the factories are gone that poison people. Now just the ground and the shit that the poison is still left in the ground. Now, and what people rarely forget that the the Rust Belt they lost jobs to the South first, then they moved out of the country. But nobody talks about that. But it, it, these are just despair factories. And you sit up and say, why don't areas like... Yeah, there are still... Like, there are still super fun sites in this area that the EPA now, thanks to the Supreme Court, has no power to regulate in a substantial way. Well, I guess that was emissions, but we know that if you're already weakened to prevent emissions, a lot of places don't want to prevent anything else or require cleanups. But let's let's go. Yeah, you've been beaten so hard. All you can do is, is your world narrows to a, a kind of red circle of rage. And you begin to hate everybody, which means you hate yourself. You know, and when that happens, it's over for you. So this is another thing, too. And like I said, in the beginning, in the intro, we're going to ask you to like and subscribe. But... It, it, uh, it, a lot of people use that anger, that rage, and what I feel is irresponsibly to start hating other different races, other people that may not have the same level of despair that you have, but still kind of in a state of getting fucked over by the system. And I, I, I have an issue with that. That's my personal issue, and I don't think that having that hatred for 
people that don't have any control isn't productive, but it is a understanding mindset to actually come come into, especially when you are just desperate or you're under despair. And when and there's an enterprise zone scam that pushed by Jack Kemp areas designated at um, tax forgiveness and no regulations and get yeah no enterprising zones or um, what 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 are uh, a few of them um, hard hit zones because of the pandemic yeah and nothing goes to those areas nothing goes to those areas investment comes for investment comes. Um, to areas around it, like there are, there are areas in Lower Manhattan that get money for investment zones because they're around, uh, they're adjacent to a um, poor area. Baldwin has taken that despair and rage and turned it into novels, theater, and essays. Characters drawn from his family and friends. This fall, Dial Press is publishing his 19th book, a novel called Just Above My Head, the story of a black gospel singer during the civil rights struggle. Now, I don't know if this music could actually get copyrighted. Um, let's see. The Gospel Church is a theme running through much of Baldwin's work. His father was a minister, and Baldwin himself became a preacher at the age of 13. Now, this is one thing that I kind of don't like um, when, especially in a lot of different communities, in order to only get listened to, you can't be just can't be a non-believer. And another thing too. Um, I'm glad that James Baldwin has actually been someone um, when he was alive that was able to use the gift of being able to speak to people through the written and spoken word. Um, I, I just wish that it wasn't just with in the auspices of a church. That, that's just me. But let's go. His play, The Amen Corner, shown in revival at Lincoln Center's Black Theater Festival, was drawn from his own experiences in the pulpit. Is it me or is it that it feels like I, they just plan this like for a long period of time because they think black people and gospel singers? Okay, I'm seeing an ass, so okay, let's go. For many growing up in poverty, the church is the only consolation. When and that's a problem because the churches aren't doing anything for it because they are benefiting from the system. If the church actually cared 
if any churches actually cared, they would have a national, a global day of prayer for the fucking poor. They don't care. They don't. Because what they're concerned about is taking care of their congregation. And even though they're Christ actually said, whatever you do to the least of me, these, you do to me, they're so concerned with keeping their power and keeping the people in their pews, they don't care. And also, they protect a lot of predatory people. But let's go. Baldwin left the church. He wanted to do more than to console. Often, Baldwin... Exactly! Wow! And see, that's the shit that... I was just saying that! <coughs> but yeah, let's let's go. Baldwin speaks to youngsters who grew up as he did, letting them know the future holds a place for them. On this day, he spoke at the Police Athletic League in Harlem. A writer might be a dancer, might be a carpenter, might be an um, architect, might be a junkie, might be any number of things. What was um, the church of Dr. King has become a church? Oh, oh no, I... I have, I have seen Martin Luther King the um, third, and if you've ever watched um, that documentary, and I, I suggest everybody, if you haven't um, um, haven't been able to do it, watch the documentary Contradiction, um, where the guy's talking about how um, churches don't do shit, and he like they are talking to main, other people. And a lot of them are just like, well, we are told to be happy with our with us not being able to do like no, it's yeah, watch contradiction, uh story of, of faith. That's yeah, yeah. I think there's still a chance for today's background. There never was a chance for a black writer. Come, what's your name? Jeffrey. Listen. A writer black and white. Doesn't have much right? I mean, like, Kiana is true. I mean, like, of course, this is back in the in the late seventies where um, it was a transition to more of television and video. And um, I mean, like, being a writer now, unless you're writing for Disney, which you still don't get much credit. Um, writing writing a book is hard, and even with the self publishing right now. Uh, yeah, writing book is hard, <laughs> but I, I I don't think that you know James Bond was just gonna leave it there. Nobody wants a writer until he's dead. God damn it, he's so fucking true. Nobody wants a writer until they die or an artist. Like literally, you want to have a like you want to have your work skywriter at a sky uh, skyrocketing value. As a writer, die <laughs> like fuck, just die. Make something, and it could be it could be shit, but it can be heralded as your magnum opus. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, no, they're a great writer. Like fuck, like look, look. I wish more writers would be able to just put out their work. And you know, shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down. Hello, Joanne. Uh, uh, um. 
and maybe they will be remembered as the most prolific writer as half of the century, but they go and talk about some turf shit. But you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, let's let's go. But to answer your real question, there's a greater chance for the black writer today than there ever has been. This is true. The children asked him the same question I wanted answered. Why did he move to Paris? Paris is very important to me because I was able Wait, 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 wait. Now, the Democrats uh, sell uh, out labor. And- you telling me that a black man in 1979 either live in the USA in 1979 who is outspoken about racial conflict who saw Megar Evers who saw Martin Luther King who saw Malcolm X actually get murdered why why would he move to um Paris after all that shit? And like he's outspoken about race issues. Um hmm. and this is Paris. Like, I mean like I know there's still racism in Europe and Paris and shit like that, but like Paris, where you know, one of the most prolific writers um of a story that the French recognize the three musketeers, um, not musketeers, musketeers, um, was written by a black man. You asked why he moved to Paris? Yeah, sure. To, um, well, I was able to take a deep breath, and I was able, this may sound a very corny way to put it, but I wanted to, I wanted to find out where... <coughs> Being black ended where I began, or vice versa. I mean that some things had happened to me because I was Jimmy, and some things had happened to me because I was black. And I wanted to find out how to get these things together. Because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life going around saying, you treat me that way because I'm black. That's like asking Frederick Douglass, why did you go to why did you go to Europe for a little bit? Like, what the fuck? Wait, what? I'm sorry. And he even said he was like. Can I go over there and find out am I Jimmy or because I'm black? Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. All right, let's go. After attaining worldwide acclaim as a black writer, Baldwin wrote Giovanni's Room, an explicitly homosexual love story. His publishers in New York refused to print it for fear of alienating his newly acquired white middle-class audience. Baldwin was furious and took the book to England for publication. You published Giovanni's Room very early on in your... I finished the book in 55. And that, to to deal with homosexuality, was difficult. You know what the sad part about it is? People actually believed there were no gay people until, like, 1970s. I... But this motherfucker was willing to put his career on the line to tell a story. All right, let's go. And you already were dealing with you know, yeah. black writer. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to do that? Well, um, one can say almost that I didn't have an awful lot of choice. It was something, Joanna's room comes, um, comes out of something which 
tormented and frightened me, the question of my own sexuality. I used to know, when I was younger, a great many men, boys, who were so terrified that they might um, have homosexual and, you know, they might be bisexual or they might, you know, want to go, you know, want to, go to bed with a man. They might, might be able to fall in love with a man. And they were so frightened of that that they could never fall in love with anybody else. And I... God. So, as a person growing up, I've always been attracted to women. I've never had an attraction towards a man. It's just not my thing. I don't understand the concept of having who I want to go to bed with, who I want to love, being seen as fucking wrong. I can't understand that concept. That shit is foreign to me because we live in a heteronormal world. But this is 2022. I have no... I have all the respect in the world if literally somebody wrote a book about this shit in 55... When they were still talking about the, well, if you smoke marijuana, then you may be the gay. You know, it's like, that is just respect. Just respect. But let's let's continue. You know, it was a frightening men. They couldn't touch women. Joanna June comes somewhere out of that. Did you also feel that you wanted to get it on the record, your own homosexuality, early? I don't know if that, um... Well, I don't know if I wanted to get it on the record, but I wanted to, but I wanted to confront it. I'm very glad that you know, that that was done because it also simplified my life in another way because it meant that I had no secrets. Nobody could blackmail me. You know, you didn't tell me. I told you. James Baldwin. I that that's just awesome. Like, okay, so the fuck what? He was like, he was gay. What you gonna do? Blackmail me, motherfucker? I put. I came out as. I know this is a bad analogy, but I came out and put my dick on the table. It was like, try it, motherfucker. You ain't gonna blackmail me. I'm gonna fucking love who the fuck I wanna love. You got a problem with it? Suck all of my testicles. God, bad analogy. But you know what the fuck I mean. Edwin is one of those lucky people who's never been unsure of his family's love. The oldest of nine children, he was helped financially by the others during his struggling years in France. Now he's in the States more than in Europe and with his family more often than not. With the success of his books, he was able to buy a Manhattan apartment building where his mother and several family members live now. Mrs. Baldwin's apartment is a center of activity for the whole family. Did you- now you know, you know, that this, 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 is, this is grandma like, don't you start that shit in my house. Don't you start that shit in my house. I will cut you. It's like this is that this is that grandma. Like, oh baby, God bless your soul, but you roll up on mine, I will put you in a box. Okay, all right, I'm sorry. Let's let's go. Shit <laughs> shit. Okay, let's go. Do you think he was gonna be as as big a success and as important? No, no I didn't think that. But I knew that uh, he had to write. Barbara. Brothers and sisters and friends of the family were there. 
nieces and nephews underfoot. He still can't upstage me now. Conversation ran the gamut of subjects, but Baldwin's mood turned when we spoke of the American attitude toward blacks. There's a price this republic exacts. Any black man or woman walking, and that is a crime. I paid for that crime in my life, and I don't believe my countrymen anymore. They will not do to him what they failed to do to me. I was seven years old 47 years ago, and nothing has changed since then. Look. Damn it! Damn it! It's just so powerful. It, this shit is so powerful. But let's continue. Look, I don't mean it to you personally. I don't even know you. No. I got nothing against you. I don't know you personally. But I know you historically. You can't have it both ways. You can't swear to the freedom of all mankind and put me in chains. Sounds as if you believe that slavery put a curse on us somehow. Well, it is a curse, you know. Um, the American sense of reality is dictated by, by what Americans are trying to avoid. And, they... and this shit is still prevalent. Prevalent today as it was in 1979. There are people that are still trying to erase slavery from the history book. They are literally in Texas. They tried. They tried forced migration. As the African slaves were forcibly migrating. Look. This shit is fucking crazy. It is. This shit. He said it. In 1979. That he was seven years old, 47 fucking years ago. And it has been another 40 fucking years from that time. To be exact, 43. So that is 90 years from that time. Let's continue. If you're trying to avoid... Reality, how can you face it? You know, if you don't know what is going on in the ghettos of this nation, in the hearts and minds of, of women and men you see every day, <coughs> you don't, you don't, first of all, in that case, you don't really know what's going on in your own heart and mind. And you have no way of knowing what, what's going on in the hearts and minds of millions of people on this, on this globe. You have told people, this nation in particular, a lot of what they don't want to hear. Yeah, I have. I've tried. You, know, you never know. But I tried, yes, to, um, the song says, wake the children sleeping. You know, one's supposed to be a disturber of the peace. Still preaching, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know what? And this is the thing where, and he said it, this is, the, and you can actually say is no you can hear that there is no animosity towards one specific person who said it. I don't know you personally, but what I want to do is teach you 
And if you don't understand that the, your own fellow countrymen who are literally, who are literally walking down the street, how could you understand yourself? There is a channel that I watch, and I mentioned it on this channel a lot, Bo the Fifth Column. He says that the erasure of the things that this country has done and continues to do is people that don't want to learn about history. People who want to identify with the bad guys. The people who did horrible shit. And then they get upset when their children find out about it. You want to identify with the bad guys. I am not saying Lord knows I'm not saying that we should not have a conversation about our shared history, the truth, not just American mythology of what goes on. And from the ghettos of the big cities to the hollers down in Middle Tennessee and all of the, you know, podunk towns that aren't filled with black people, but still are filled with poor people. We should have that. And we should, as a fucking country and as a world, look at making sure that we bring together those of us who need to work to live. It's telling. And, um, yeah, that's... I don't know what else to say, but um, like, share, and subscribe. Also, join my Patreon if you can, or subscribe to my Twitch. I want to say thank you. Help me hit a thousand. Help me hit a thousand so we can get more of these messages out and share my videos. All right. Cut the segment here.